Uh, if you would, uh, turn in your Bible to Exodus chapter 20. As we uh, reach the conclusion of this uh, mini-series within a not-so-mini-series, um, as we reach the end of the series on the Ten Commandments within uh, the series on the book of Exodus. And as has been our practice, uh, we'll begin reading in verse 1. Uh, and uh, as you are aware, it is our practice to stand when we read God's Word together. So uh, if you're able, uh, would you do that now? Let's stand as we read. Hear God's Word, Exodus 20, beginning in verse 1. Uh, and God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray. Uh, we pray, O Holy Spirit, that you would be with us. Teach us. Uh, enlighten our minds that we might hear and understand and believe uh, and that you would use this, your word, to conform us into the image of Christ. For it's in his name that we ask it. Amen. You may be seated. Um, I, may, I'm, I may make enemies with what I'm about to say, um, but I'm going to risk it anyway. Uh, there are a lot of Christmas songs I just don't like. There's a lot of Christmas music I just don't much care for. Um, I'm not talking about the things we sing here. Love the hymns, the carols. We sing, the things we're going to sing in our Christmas Eve service Friday night. Um, all about those. It's the radio stuff. Like, you, you, you have to wonder, how did Christmas get from uh, the birth of Jesus to... You know, the, 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 the way it sort of expands out, right? Family holidays, vacation, and you're like, okay, that I can sort of give a pass, but a snowman and a winter wonderland and Santa and a reindeer with a red nose. Like, how did we get there? Um, there's just a lot of radio Christmas music that I, and it plays for a month. I mean, you know, if they wait till Thanksgiving, they start right away. 
uh, and it plays solid wall-to-wall nonstop. Uh, there are a couple, I think, that you know I've picked on before. Um, the I Can't Stand My Kids Anymore song. You know, mom and dad can hardly wait for school to start again, that one. Um, the, there, there are others like it as well. Uh, the worst one, the tune's catchy, I get it, is, the, is what I call the gimme, gimme, gimme song. Uh, uh, right? I mean, Santa Baby, a sable, a light blue 54 convertible, a ring. It's just... This long list of all the things that the singer wants and expects to get um, for Christmas. And this, it's just this long list of, quite honestly, of coveting. It's, this, it's a perfect picture, I think, of the Tenth Commandment and just exactly what the Tenth Commandment is pointing us towards. It seems to communicate that if I could get all of these things, well, first of all, I deserve them. You owe them to me. So there's that angle. But there's, you know, if I could just have all of these things, then I would be happy. These things will make my life better. These things will make me happy. And um, so there you go. The whole song is just this nonstop breaking of the 10th commandment, a picture of coveting. And by the way, perhaps you notice this even in the in the 10th commandment. We finally get to a commandment that speaks directly to the heart. Now, we've we've done this in the past, right? We've already sort of seen how murder really is a heart issue, that it begins with anger in the heart, that adultery begins with lust in the heart. And Jesus shows us that so clearly in the Sermon on the Mount. We've We've seen uh, in Matthew 15 the things that come out of you, your heart that make you unclean. And so every commandment is rooted in the heart. I don't mean to say that the others are all external. We've sort of proven that over the last several weeks. But it's this one that's hideable. This is one that the reality is you don't always get to see. We can be guilty of the 10th commandment and nobody violating the 10th commandment and nobody ever actually know it. It's finally a commandment that actually aims at the heart. It's inherently a heart issue. Now, first of all, I need you to sort of recognize, we ought to be clear at least on what coveting isn't. Because if you go look in a, uh, a dictionary, some dictionaries will define coveting as wanting, as you know, want or desire. To, to want or desire. That's not enough. That wouldn't be the Bible's definition of coveting. We're, we're, we're creatures. God made us to eat. He made us to want food so that we can, you know, stay alive. Without it, we don't live. We don't survive. So it's not wrong for us to want to eat. It's not wrong for us to want something to drink. We're designed to need those things. Even hanging on the cross, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. That's not a sin. Jesus himself got hungry. Jesus took a nap. He was sleeping on the boat 
on the lake when the storm came up. They had to wake him up in the middle of a storm. He got sleepy. He took naps. And so wanting things, desiring things, isn't automatically breaking the Tenth Commandment. Some people are single. They want to be married. That's not automatically coveting. Some people are married and don't have kids and want kids. That's not automatically coveting. Paul even writes to the church in Thessalonica. He said he endeavored eagerly and with great desire to see them again. In Philippians 1, he said, I desire to be with Christ. So it's not as simple as simply saying that just because we want something, just because we desire something, that we're automatically breaking the Tenth Commandment. The Bible tells us that that's just not the case. So what is coveting? What, what does it look like to violate the Tenth Commandment? Well, I think we, we break this commandment in two ways. The first is in what we want. Did you notice verse 17? Everything in the list in verse 17 has one thing in common. They belong to someone else. Everything in the list has just, I mean, what do what does the, the wife and the ox have in common? You have to be careful. Right? When you start talking about wife and ox in the same sentence, you've got to be careful when you're trying to make that. Well, what, what they have in common is they belong to somebody. In fact, you, you, um, there are times when you ever hear anybody joke about the Department of Redundancy Department. Um, you know, when, when people say sort of the same thing twice in the exact same sentence, and you're kind of like, well, that was straight out of the Department of Redundancy Department. You just said the exact same thing twice and it was sort of unnecessary. That actually happens in this verse. Notice how the verse begins and ends with the same two words. Well, you shall not. Notice how the commandment, maybe not the verse, it's your neighbor. Everything in the list, right? You shall not covet. And here we go. Your neighbors. And how does it end? Your neighbors. It's written by the Department of Redundancy Department. Everything in the list belongs to someone else. It's your neighbor's house. It's your neighbor's wife. It's his servant. It's his ox. It's his donkey. And so we break this commandment. When we long for things that we can't and aren't supposed to have. We break this commandment when we long for the things that belong to someone else. It's as if God's kind of repeating the fact that everything in, the li in, in this list is your neighbor's. And because it's your neighbor's, it is automatically off limits. But notice, count the things in the list. There's seven of them. Sort of that biblical number of, of fulfillment and completion. I don't think this is an exhaustive list. I think it's, it's a, um, an, an illustrative list. It's a list that's supposed to illustrate the anything 
in just in the fact that there are seven things in the list. In other words, it reinforces the anything by putting seven things in the list itself. So you and I are commanded not to desire, not to long for anything that belongs to our neighbor. Now, maybe some of you are thinking, well, this is actually pretty easy because my neighbors don't have a donkey. My neighbors don't have servants. My neighbors don't have an ox. And already you're looking pretty good. That's right. Already you're thinking, well, sweet. If I just if that's the commandment, if that's the bar, I can step over that pretty easy. Because my neighbor doesn't even have half this stuff. Well, four of the seven things in the list. But I want you to think about something. What did those things do for the Israelites? What was their job? Well, they, they did yard work. They ground grain. They did dishes. They cooked and cleaned. In other words, we have those things. Right? This doesn't say to me, don't covet your neighbor's ox or donkey. It says don't covet your neighbor's fancy new riding mower. Don't covet your neighbor's fancy new kitchen. Don't covet the 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 I'm not guilty of this at all. I promise. Don't covet the really cool backyard with the three different size big green eggs out there and all the sort of cooking stuff you need out in your outdoor kitchen area. The point is, our neighbors do have these things. They have, just so happens that in today's world, it's machines primarily that do the things for us, that did the things for them, that this commandment is pointing to. We have machines that do that work. And so you and I are commanded not to covet the things that belong to our neighbor that, that might make life a little cooler, more comfortable in some way or another. Incidentally, and this is, this is totally an aside because I don't think I did this on uh, the Sabbath commandment, on the fourth commandment. Because some of these things show up in that list too. So maybe the issue in the Sabbath day, you shall not do any work, your son, your daughter, your male servant, female, livestock... Maybe the point there is, oh, well, if the if it's my riding mower in the Tenth Commandment, it might very well be my riding mower in the Fourth Commandment. If it's my dishwasher or my laundry machine, my washing machine in the Tenth Commandment, maybe it's probably that those things shouldn't be operating on the Lord's Day either. So we covet on the one hand when we desire that which rightly belongs to somebody else. We, we violate the Tenth Commandment in what we want. But we also violate the, the Tenth Commandment in how we want. You know, sometimes we, we might want things, we, we desire things, um, and, and that might not be sin in and of themselves, except for the intensity with which we want them. It's not wrong to say, well, I want to be married. It is might be wrong to say, well, it is absolutely wrong to say, I want to be married to that person's wife. That's the what we want. But if, if that's the one thing that consumes everything about you, 
then you may be guilty of breaking this commandment. We live in a world that um, requires us to be able to pay $3 a gallon for gas. Uh, We live in a world that requires us, not us, but I need the illustration, so humor me, that, that requires us to be able to pay the guy to fix the HVAC system so you can walk in here and it actually be 66, 67, 68 degrees and not 60 like it was last Sunday. We live in a world that requires us to have money and use money to be able to pay for the things that we have. We need to be able to write a check to Athens Utilities so that we can be warm in the, in the winter and cool in the summer. So wanting a job to be able to provide for your family and meet those needs is not in and of itself a violation of the Tenth Commandment. But what does Paul tell us in 1 Timothy 6? That the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The problem isn't money. The problem is loving that money. The problem is making that the thing we want more than anything else in the world. Setting our hope, our affections, our dreams, even our worth and value on having money. On the money itself. Turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. I should have reminded you uh, once again that um, you don't want to close your Bible and put it away. We're going we're gonna to see if several other passages, uh, what they remind us about uh, this 10th commandment. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Verse 10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. Do you hear what the preacher is saying? What, what this, the, the writer of Ecclesiastes is telling us? He's telling us exactly what John D. Rockefeller told us. Right? At one time, the richest man in the world, the first ever American billionaire, was asked, how much money is enough money? Do you remember his answer? Just a little bit more. The Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes 5 that he would have said that thousands of years before he even had a chance to say that. But we also get an example, by the way, and I think it's important to to see this, of in Proverbs 30. Turn to Proverbs 30. And just back up a couple of pages, actually, um, of of someone who knows his own sin tendencies and knows his need for contentment, for balancing his uh, requests, his needs in life. In Proverbs chapter 30, verse 8, remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. That's contentment. That's balance. That's recognizing the dangers of having too much 
which would say, well, I don't really need God anymore. I don't really need to depend on him because look at all this still cool stuff I've got. And this is really all I need compared to, well, if, if I don't have enough, if I'm poor, then there's the danger of sealing. This is recognizing how to ask for, how to request a balance, a, a contented life. The worst part is you and I are born coveting. We're born in sin. We're born dissatisfied, discontent with the things that we have. We, we could look at Mark chapter 7. We've looked at Matthew 15 the last couple of weeks. We could look at Mark chapter 7. And in Mark 7, Jesus is again sort of telling his disciples, it's not what goes into your mouth that makes you unclean. It's what comes out of your mouth that makes you unclean because what comes out of your mouth comes from your heart. And in that list, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness. In other words, it's in us. It's already there inside of us. If you need more evidence, put a two-year-old in a room with a wall full of toys and one other kid. Which toy do they want? It's the one the other kid is playing with. There's an entire wall full of toys. An entire list of options. But what they want is whatever the other person has. It just gives further evidence to the fact that we are born in sin. We are guilty of cosmic treason even from the day of our first breath. So we break the Tenth Commandment in what we want. We also break the Tenth Commandment in how we want. What's wrong with coveting? Why is it a problem? Why does it make this list? Why is it so bad to want what other people have? To be discontent with your lot and long for what other people have. Well, there, let me just suggest there are a couple of reasons. The first is that it makes a God of the things of this world. In other words, there's a sense in which the Tenth Commandment, the list of Ten Commandments is actually a circle. The Tenth Commandment points us right back to the first one again. Because as soon as we long intently for that which we cannot have or long intently so much that we now are making a God of this thing, whatever this thing is, we're now deciding I'm worshiping this instead of the one true God. The 10th commandment points us right back to the first. Let me show you this because this is actually clearly stated in Colossians chapter 3. Turn to Colossians 3 because I need to show you just, just as this one verse that actually does out loud verbally for us to hear. Um, and I've written down the wrong verse. I've got Colossians 3.10. That's not it. Um, which is idolatry. There, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. 
So Paul in Colossians 3 takes the 10th commandment and points it right back to the first. We see it illustrated in Mark chapter 10 with the rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus, what what must I do to be saved? And Jesus says, here, do these things. And He gives him the list of the, the second table of the law. And He says, well, I've done all these things. And do you remember Jesus' answer? Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor. And the guy walked away happy, excited, ready to go. No, that's not how it went. He went away sad because he had great wealth. He loved his stuff more than he loved Jesus. He was unwilling to part with his stuff in order to be saved. Jesus makes a similar connection in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6.33 Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Not seek all this other stuff and when you have time, seek His kingdom. Not, well, what you really need to do is amass a whole bunch of toys and treasures and, you know, a couple of Ferraris and a really nice house and some of these things and some of those things. And while you're at it, see what you can do about the kingdom of God. See, when we're, when we're focused on the things of this world, we're actually focusing on our kingdom, not His. We want to make our name great. We want other people to look at us and say, wow. Instead of looking at Jesus and saying, wow. And so in that sense, the 10th commandment just circles right back around to the first. One of the reasons coveting is a problem uh, is because it's actually violating the first commandment. It's worshiping the things of this world instead of the one true God. There's a second problem with coveting that I just kind of want you to consider for just a second. We say God is in control. We say God is sovereign. You see this in early National Signing Day just went by earlier this week. And, and there are people transferring schools left and right. And inevitably, two-thirds of them are saying something about God being in control of their destination and where they go. We say God is in control, but then we look at God and say, but you clearly either are unable or you're unloving. Because if you were able and if you were loving, I'd have that. I would own a fancy new Ferrari. I would own nine big green eggs out in my backyard. I would have a big fancy whatever this or that. In other words... We're actually accusing when we covet, when we long for the things of this world, either things that we cannot have or so intently that it becomes an idol to us. We're accusing God of not loving you, of not caring about us, about of, of being weak and unable to provide for his people. It questions God's character. This is, this is where you look back to the first two verses of Exodus 20. See, coveting says, God, your character is, is all wrong, which, by the way, is a third commandment problem. 
We are saying you don't love us. You're weak. You're powerless. Because if you really loved me, if you really cared about me, and if you really could do things about things in this world, I would have, and then you fill in the blank with whatever is on your list. We all have different lists. This is where you look back to the first two verses. Because how does this passage begin? Before we ever get to any Ten Commandments, we are told in verses 1 and 2, I've already delivered you. You already have freedom from bondage. I mean, this is Israel at the foot of Mount Sinai, not in Egypt. Meaning, not enslaved any longer. Not sort of beat down, as it were, by the Egyptians, by Pharaoh. These are people who are free. And who are free and have been led by a cloud and a pillar of fire. God is actually with his people. He's present with his people, leading them to the promised land. In other words... He's already granted you freedom from sin and misery. He's granted you deliverance from bondage to sin. He's given you, Christmas, His Son. He's given you Jesus. And we would complain about a car. He says, here, here's my son, so that you might be free, so that you might be delivered. Christ was born as God's gift of salvation to his people. And with Christ, we have eternal reward. And the things of this world are paling in comparison to the glory and beauty of the gift that we've been given In fact, one more passage. Turn to Hebrews chapter 13. The writer of Hebrews makes an interesting connection in in Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13 verse 5. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Doesn't that seem like an odd place to comfort you with God's presence? Don't love money. Be content with your possessions. Why? Well, because God said he wouldn't leave you. Like, to me, those two things don't exactly go together except for the fact that really coveting disdains God's gift of Christmas. Coveting actually disdains God's promise of deliverance in Jesus. It actually disdains his promise of his presence. You have God with you, in you, by his spirit. And we would say, but what I really need is a new washing machine. This is great and all God, but have you seen my car? Yeah, this is great and all, God, but my neighbor has some really cool stuff that I'd kind of like to have too. The reality is, in Christ, you have a gift money can't 
buy. That no possess, you can't trade any of your possessions in the world to gain Christ, to buy your freedom from sin and misery. And no amount of money could make God's promised presence any more special than it already is. Believer, as we move closer and closer to Christmas, consider the gift of Christ who lived and died for people who are discontent with their lot in life and find your fulfillment in Him. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you that you have seen fit in your wisdom even before the foundation of the world to give us your Son, to redeem us, to deliver us from bondage to sin and guilt and shame and misery, to free us from, um, from a, a life given to uh, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Uh, and we pray that you would, by your grace, more and more root out discontentment in our lives. Uh, that we would look at our neighbors and see either brothers and sisters in Christ with whom we have an eternal bond and sweet, joyful fellowship, or that we would look at our neighbors and see unbelievers in need of the cleansing blood of Jesus. And may we not see their stuff. Uh, may we not see the, the things of this world and think that if I could just have one more shiny silver whatever then my life would be complete. May we find our completeness, our wholeness, our fulfillment, our worth, our value in the gift that you've given us in your Son, Jesus Christ. And may the things of this world grow strangely dim until that day when we are standing in your presence for all eternity, never to be discontent again. We pray all of this in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen.